to the Love Anarchy podcast in the Relationship Rebellion, where we get deep about love, relationships, and dating. I'm your host, Andrea Atherton, love specialist, and I'm here today with Chris Rice to share his story. A very difficult beginning, but in the end, almost by default, finding love across the miles. He's in New York, and his love is in the Philippines. So relationships hadn't worked for him. He didn't come from an ideal family of origin. But Chris had always had a huge heart, and people were always willing to go to bat for him. Even though the difficult situations and relationships he's been in, he never lost the ability to love. And that paid off in the long run. So pull up a chair and sit down with us and listen to Chris Rice's story. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. It's It's been a long time. It really has. I honestly don't remember the last time I spoke to you before, you know, we communicated about this. Yes. So it is good to see and talk to you again. But (laughs) that's the beauty of Facebook, though, is that we can all kind of keep in touch and kind of see each other's face. And it's not, you know, you feel even though you're not totally connecting, you still kind of get an idea of what people are going through. Sure. It's awesome to see, you know, you going and bring your daughter to college and yeah. the beautiful uh, scenery of where you live when you go on your hikes and stuff. I do enjoy it. And, and that's what yep. I do like about Facebook. Yep. And I love your fishing pictures and your pictures <laughs> with your, with your girlfriend. I, I, I think they're, they're great. <laughs> Me too. I cherish yeah. them. I'm getting some love right now. I know. From, it's, it's yeah, from, is that, is that your, is that your first girl? Kira it really is. Is Jenny, is. is Jenny jealous of Kira? Definitely. When you know how Kira was just snuggling on me and stuff, Jenny will be like, no, Kira, go away. It's my time. You know, I want daddy. <laughs> Kira is Chris's dog. FYI. Yes. So this dog, I'm watching her look at him. Like he is like the king of the world and the, the best person ever. So she just, she just loves him. But no. I, question for you and sure. I don't think I never I know your name is Mark but we call you Chris yeah okay you want to know why I do oh it's I, this is almost as annoying as explaining what a skipper key dog is which I have to do on a daily basis and I've had to do this my entire life my name is Mark Christopher Rice my mom wanted to name me Christopher Mark her dad said Oh, when he goes to kindergarten, that's an awfully long name to spell. It might be difficult. Why don't you name him Mark Christopher and then just call him Chris at home, right? So I go to school, and I'm a shy little Chris, and they're calling me Mark, and I'm like, who's that? You know? <laughs> but then I just didn't ever say anything. So when I went to school, everybody called me Mark. I'm like, hey. When I went to work, Mark on the application, yep, hey, you know. Dr. Mark, hey, you know. But now I kind of, you know, I put it out there on the Facebook as Chris Rice because I'm tired of explaining and and I'm mad at my mom and allowing, you know, listening to her dad 
you know, that's crazy. I'm smart. I could read. My great grandmother used to read to have me read before, well before I even went to nursery school. I was reading. Reconnecting with Chris on Facebook, um, he has a girlfriend named Jenny, and I looked at pictures of them together, and they just look like two peas in a pod. They look like they belong together, and how how he addressed her and so able to be himself. You could just feel the compatibility and the love there. And yeah, and this one's different for you. She's in the Philippines and it's a very poor country. And um, her friends and neighbors and stuff are like, oh, look at Jenny. She hit the lottery. She met a foreigner, right? She's He's rich, foreigner, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, you have no idea. I, I'm not rich compared to American standards. And I'm the lucky one because I have these issues that I've been dealing with, you know, and um, she accepts me for who I am, you know, and didn't ask me, look, you got to stop doing this and that and playing video games or practicing guitar or going fishing every day. It's just, you know, you went yesterday. Why are you going again today? I'm not going to put up with that again, you know? So, it just and makes she, me think of cultural differences, too. But see, the way she sees it is, is a good thing, because one of the first questions when we were talking to each other was she would say, do you go to happy hour? I'm like, happy hour? I rarely drink. I haven't had a drink in two years. It's not I have any problem with it. It's just not for me, usually. So I'm thinking happy hour, happy hour. And then I'm thinking it's Philippines, and they have bar girls there. And they go to happy hour to meet the bar girls. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 we don't have that here. And if we did, I wouldn't go, you know. So she sees me as fishing and video gaming and guitaring as a positive. Right? Maybe her, she's a widow. And uh, the, the family that she works for, the dad, the grandpa would take off and go to the casino and not tell anybody where he was and stuff. So speaking yeah. of yeah, cultural differences, so. Seeing that you're fishing by yourself, playing video games with people online or hanging out with your dog is fine. It's not threatening. Exactly. Yeah, but being so far away, how did you develop a relationship or how did you know that you had that kind of feelings for her? Okay. Well, when I first, um, like I said, I met her on a, on a, uh, a single site on Facebook and I wrote to her maybe... Uh, half a dozen times I'm thinking and we scheduled a video chat and we video chatted for like 30 seconds. She just didn't want anything to do with it. She was afraid her English was not that good and she has great English. And, uh, you know, the next day it went from 30 seconds to five minutes and then slowly and slowly. And then now we talk four times a day. Usually when I wake up, when she wakes up, when she goes to lunch, when, uh, I mean, when we're eating dinner, you know, it's just, so it works for us, you know, because she's be busy at work and I'm doing my thing, you know, and then we just meet at the right times because it's a 12 hour difference, you know. So when I'm eating dinner, she's eating breakfast, you know, so we sit and chat. So have you met each other? Oh, yeah, I've been there twice. It was the most incredible thing ever. <laughs> I didn't. Getting there is like running a marathon. You know, it was, I had never flown out of the country or anything. I went from Saranac Lake to New York City to um, 
Pudong, China, and then to the Philippines. Wow. And then back again. And it was a, it was a stretch. But when I got off the phone, off the airplane, I walk across the out of the airport and all that, and I see her standing there. And we just walked up to her and hugged her, and we went went home and fell asleep, and then started, you know, actually getting to know each other the next day, kind of, you know, going to breakfast, and then we flew to where her family lives, and that's when I knew I was home, I guess, Uh, because they were just. Like within five minutes, they got me in the garden digging sweet potatoes and laughing and playing with the kids. And, you know, and just to get to their house was an experience riding in this tiny little sidecar on a a tiny little motorcycle down down the bumpy road, down these path houses and water buffaloes. It was just, I couldn't stop looking. I didn't want to miss something, you know. And they made you feel welcome. Oh my God, instantly. It just, you know, and the, her mom's was um, around 70 years old or so and still working in rice fields and stuff. So, you know, they didn't have a lot and they shared everything and pointing the one fan at me and people handing me with a towel and Jenny behind me wiping the sweat off because it's hot there, you know, it was just amazing, you know. And yeah, and Jenny works and sends money back to her family, I'm sure, as a lot of people do. Yes. The, one of the Philippines' biggest exports is uh, labor. You know, it's a lot of nurses, a lot of um, nannies and maids and stuff like that. And they go all over the world. They're in every country. And uh, they send a majority of that money home to support their family. You know, Jenny was... Uh, working for people who had a pig farm and she would take care of the births and the inoculations and the feeding and the cleaning and all that. When she wasn't doing that, she's doing plumbing and uh, cooking and cleaning and sewing and everything else and taking care of their grandkids and making sure their homework. So it's just never off the clock, you know, even on Sunday it's a lighter day, but she still had to take care of the pigs and stuff, you know? So it's just amazing to me how much work they'll do. You know? How much did she come out and visit you? No. Um, uh, being uh, a country girl, sometimes their birth certificates might be a little inaccurate or something. And I think she has one with like her stepdad's name on it instead of her actual dad's kind of thing. So we have to get that straightened out before she can come here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yes. in. There's challenges in every relationship, but yeah. uh, being try being on different, different yeah. yeah, there's a you know, there's challenges in every relationship, but you too have overcome these challenges. I have to explain a lot of things to her, like um my mental health and stuff like that. I mean I'm sure they have mental health issues in the Philippines, but I don't know if it's as much or as common. I think they're more that. survival than we are. Exactly. They're worried about getting food, and I'm worried about, you know, how my dad maybe tie the dog to the thing and drive away, you know. Well, yeah. So yeah. I can see. So I really, I've never in my life been in a relationship where I take the time and I don't try and get not mad and yell and be like, look, this is why I'm feeling this way. And, and can you please try and understand and listen while I explain how I ended up like this, you know, what, and it's, I mean, we've never really had an argument, 
You know what I mean? It's just me um, losing my mind or something and then having to explain to her what happened and why. And it's nothing that she did. It's something here usually, you know, Mm -hmm. that I lost my mind over, you know. As so you ex- it, explain your relationship to me, it just seems like you feel like you can tell her anything where it hasn't been like that with friends or in other relationships that you've had. Completely. I trust her. You know what I mean? Uh, trust when is I feel, so important. It is. And I don't know if I've ever trusted someone, like even my dad and my mom, I, after you know things that have happened, there was lack of trust there for me. But for Jenny, she's always accepted me, you know what I mean? And didn't judge me and didn't be combative or anything. She just accepted what I said and tried to talk with me about it and everything. It's just I never had anything like that before, you know what I mean? It, just, it was pro- probably strange at first, or you were probably a little reluctant to yeah, trust. Right, because here's a foreigner that I'm telling all my secrets to that I had never even met in person. You know, it took me almost two years to get over there, you know, the first time. Love is energy, and mm-hmm. we can find a match. You know, like, I, I, I don't believe that we all have one match. But we can find a match, you know, anywhere in the world. And yeah. granted, there are some challenges, but... As you talk about it, there's also some benefits for you personally. I was not looking for a long-distance relationship. I was bummed out on that site because there was nobody local. But I just wanted to talk to somebody, you know, and I saw that she hadn't been bombarded with rude messages and stuff, so I wrote to her. That was the only reason I thought she was pretty. But, I, I mean, I didn't know. You know? And you just wanted to feel connected and be open conversation with someone. Exactly. Five, you know, five years ago. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> as we talked before, you've been through a lot of challenges um, with your parents, with aunts and uncles, with drug and alcohol abuse. You've been through challenges and then in your adult relationships. So what was your childhood like? My childhood? Um, I guess, I mean, I thought we were pretty happy. Like I was telling you, there was something that had changed. Like before um, my sister was adopted, that I told you my great-grandmother, she was the one who convinced my parents to bring my sister in. She was in an abusive place. You know, they were locking her in a room and stuff like that. And she came to live with us. And then my grandmother great-grandmother moved to take care of a different relative or something, you know, and my mom was caring and this and that and all. And then when my great-grandmother left, my dad started, you know, and I don't want to knock bikers and stuff, but he had biker friends who would come over. And like I told you, there would be stuff in the garage and, you know, these guys showing up on Harleys and stuff and it was cool and everything. And, you know, but um, that's when it changed, you know, that's when, and his dad was shady. My mom's dad was shady. You know, they, my, her mom, my mom's dad had gotten caught embezzling money or something from a company. He had another family on the other side of town. You know, my grandfather worked at GE and got fired from there for stealing parts to make a radio or something, you know, and they're all shady. So I'm glad that when, you know, I met my wife, I 
kind of moved away from there. But you know yeah, I, mean? I, I never remember you being like that. I mean, no. uh, like, like uh, you were involved in it because it was around you, but it wasn't like by choice, like I'm going to go and take advantage of this person or do this to that person. Right. No, I never was the steal or rip people off kind of person. I would sell the drugs that we had or, sure. you know, to make money. That's different, you know, and it was mostly just weed, but I was always afraid to do unto others kind of thing, you know. You had a conscious. Yeah. Your mother ended up leaving when you were young. Was it right after that they adopted Robin? No, this Robin was adopted when I was, uh, me and Robin are about the same age. She's yeah. like six months older. So I was about six or seven. And my mom had her um, issues when I was 13, from going from sixth to seventh grade. And um, we had gone to camp for two weeks. I went for one week and had to come back early to start summer school. And mm-hmm. the second week is when I guess some shit hit the fan. I wasn't there and I still don't know what exactly happened. Um, I mean, was there a lot of, a lot of conflict between mom and dad? Yeah. When we were, you know, like I said, after great grandma left, um, they had gotten separated a couple times. They had had some, you know, screaming matches here and there. Um, you know, I remember going to welfare with my mom and her going in and us leaving in the car and my dad coming and her telling us, don't let him in the car and all this. It's just, uh, you know, I hate the freaking stuff, you know? So then, yeah. And then, you know, like I said, I would come home from school and stuff and there'd be some weird guy there that I didn't know, or, you know? Yeah. So, you know, so I shady stuff just, going on on both sides. Right. And my dad wasn't doing it. Like, I don't remember him ever actually going out and like stealing a car or something, but we had a two car garage and it was empty. So his buddies wouldn't have any problem with stopping by in the middle of the night, leaving it there for it to cool off for a week or two and then come back and get it, you know? Yep. So he was Crazy. rubbing, rubbing shoulders with a lot of, with a lot of shady people. And, you know, and you were young and you didn't yeah. understand exactly what was going on. Right. You think when you see, you know, it's glamorized on TV and stuff. So you and your friends think that it's cool. And I'm thinking, this is not cool. I wish my dad worked at GE like Jimmy and my mom was Ward Cleaver like Sue or, or June Cleaver like, you know, Susie's mom, you know. It wasn't you safe. Know. No. It could have been, they could have been taking us away at any point, you know, or. Who they're on drugs? Do you know? It could have burned the house down. Who knows what drove us into a tree? Anything, you know? I never did anything in front of my kids when they were young. You know, I didn't drink. And it's funny because I went to that football uh, hall of fame ceremony, and my teammates are like, "Oh, we're surprised you're still alive." You know, and I'm like, "No." Well, and my mother was super strict like on the other pendulum way, but I'd go home, hang out at Chris's house. He could, I'm like, when, you know, when do you have to be in on a school night? I don't. Once your mom was gone too, it even got, you could kind of come and go as you wanted to. And while everybody's like, that is so cool. It probably wasn't so cool. I would literally, you know, I had my high school sweetheart. I would drop her off at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock on a school night and go to Rock's Tavern with my dad's car afterwards with my high school letter and jacket on, you know. 
and just hang out and drink the 50 cent drafts with my buddies who were already, you know, seniors or out of school. It was just insane. And then drive home. Come to high school. So a lot of uh, interesting things. You know, it's and, the uh, 80s, I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. The 80s were just interesting anyways. But belonging to that high school team, you know, knowing your background probably meant so much more to you than people knew. Yeah, I don't, you know, my closest friends at that time would make fun of me for, you know, leaving and say, I have to go to practice. And that was more important. You know, like, when I was in seventh grade, I was the tallest and the biggest kid and stuff. And uh, that summer that I went to Myrtle Beach between sixth and seventh grade, I had made a friend down there from Virginia. And he was all like, if in my town, if you don't play football, you ain't shit, you know? So, <laughs> and he was a big kid like me. So I went back and I'm like, oh, I'm going to play football, you know? And Coach DeCogo saw me and he's like, well, you're only in seventh grade and you have to be like in ninth grade to play freshman or something, but your size will let you play, you know? Wow. So you started and playing in seventh grade, seventh grade. Yeah. And, uh, like the first day of practice, we're doing calisthenics and stuff. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? This is not fun at all. You know, what did Run I sign up for? Yeah. Right. But then, I think I was trying that hard, but then eventually somebody screwed up really bad and they get ice, get in there. And then I just never came out, you know, and, it, and I started to do well. And what position did you play? I played defensive tackle, which, um, like I said, why you got confused when you thought I was the quarterback was, um, I would be in charge of, you know, plugging the line. And if he went back to pass, I would have to try and tackle him, you know? So I was able to get through the line pretty often and get to the quarterback when they would, drop back the pass. So I just, I, I have one memory of my dad and his work buddy came to one of our games. We played against Shaker and I wanted to impress my dad's friend. And I must've tackled the quarterback on our team at least 10 times in one game. That was so funny. And it just, the other coaches on the other team were like, Holy cow, you know, you're really good and stuff. I was like, you know, so that's what I was like, boy, I felt good. I want to hear that again, you know? And Noah, because you weren't getting it anywhere else, but you kind of set it up for yourself. You're like, well, I'm going to utilize what I got. I'm yep. muscular. I'm big. I'm tall. You know, yep. I've got a lot of grounding and power behind me, so I'm going to use it. But then, too, like a lot of men need, even now as adults, is that sense of community, belonging, working, teamwork. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it gave you you that. And like you said, you didn't feel like necessarily you had a lot in common with your teammates, but what you did have in common was the game. Exactly. And being there uh, for the guy next to you, like when they sit with soldiers, it's about the guy next to you. You don't care if he's white or black or religion. You're out there to do, achieve the same goal, you know? So you have to treat their family. You know what I mean? That's that, like I said. I don't. Any one of those guys could call me right now. I'm broke down. Can you come and get me? I would go. But you did. To, but you did have a problem with one particular person that you got consequences for. <laughs> yeah, I got suspended. Um, yeah. So I mean, the mo- one of the most shocking things in Scotia Glenville's history. You know, not beyond that they were um, un- undefeated. Undefeated. I am part of two of the most 
<laughs> unforgettable things in Scotia history is the undefeated football team and being stabbed in the gym. <laughs> yep. So Chris, yes, was part of both of those things. So tell us about so undefeated. Congratulations for two years, which is a is huge. You know, it was amazing, and you know, it was such a pride thing for for our school. But then one day, walking down the hall. Chris Rice got stabbed. I'm like, what? So back up. How'd this all yeah. come down? All right. So like I would have issues at school work, obviously with my ADHD and stuff. So they had formed um, this focus program. It was like, uh, they told me it was for kids who were fence sitters and they put it to me also was smaller classes to help focus the oh, teacher okay. on you. Cause they, cause you know, like I told you, I probably handed in maybe three homework assignments the whole time I was in high school, you know? So like the Mr. Terracini, he was like, take my uh, public speaking English course. I'm like, I'm never going to pass that. He's like, you'll pass. Like teachers and coaches and friends, a lot of people who had your back because they saw the potential in you. There was another fellow who's a large guy like me. And like I was telling you before, he would, he was awful touchy feely with some of the girls and, and you could tell that they, some of them didn't enjoy it. And that always made me. He crossed the line. Yeah. He's crossing the line there. I can understand, you know, um, uh, teenagers, their hormones are all, you know, a lot of them are doing this kind of thing, but some of them don't appreciate it if there's not an attraction or whatever, I guess. So you could see, you know, some of the girls were just too polite to say, get off of me or you're creepy, you know, and they tolerate it, but I could tell they didn't like it. So one day I just soccer punched him in the hallway <laughs> and he dropped his books and I wanted to fight him right there. And he didn't want anything to do with it. He picked up his books and walked away back to the focus group. We would go on uh, field trips and stuff. And we went uh, to Lake Champlain ice fishing and spent the night at the one teacher's uh, parents' house and I ended up hanging out with his ex-girlfriend a lot. And we go back to school the next week or whatever. He finds out about it and wants to fight me because of it. And we had the same gym class later in the day. And I went up to him in the gym, in the locker room. You want to fight me? Yes, I want to fight you. Okay, meet me in the gym. I go to the gym. He goes in his locker and gets a brass knuckles and a small knife and sticks it in, his, in the back of his pants. And then came running out at me. And, uh, you know, we tussled around and I got up on the ground and got on top of him and then he stabbed me. And then I stood up. And you didn't I know it. And, you didn't know no, it. I just felt a, like a smack on my chest. And he, uh, I stood up from him and the knife fell out and he grabbed it and was, you know, waving it around. I'm like, put the knife down. We'll finish this fair. And then I put my hand to my chest and pulled it away and it was covered with blood. And he saw that and gone like a shot out the back door of the gym. And <clears throat> right after that happened, the uh, coach DeCoco and um, Tim McDonough were like right next to me and helped me to the nurse's office and then the ambulance and the police and court. And I got suspended. He got expelled. I ended up with like eight stitches in my nipple. <laughs> you, you are can't so see a scar. lucky. You are so lucky. Yeah, I was lucky. really lucky. It was a very small knife, and uh, it went straight up instead of straight in. But that was the end of my fighting. You know, 
<laughs> then I met my wife soon after that. How did you meet done. her? I met her um, through the van. <laughs> I was working. One of my coworkers, his sister was the godmother of my kids that my wife was in a relationship with. In the past. And yes. Gabby and Dan. I worked with Dan. Gabby's his sister. Come on over. We're going, you know, to, it was uh, St. Patrick's Day down in Albany or something. Our friend Wendy's going to meet us and, you know, you can meet her. So she called, she, she called me and invited me to dinner at her parents. And I got to meet her parents and her three brothers. And then, um, we, I went to her apartment after there and never went back home. <laughs> wow. So it was you like, in, was that the first time you were in love? No. Um, I, you know, when I was 13, I had this 16 year old girlfriend who I, you know, thought I would be with forever. And then when I, I had a few girlfriends in high school and then I met um, Jackie and we were together for like two and a half, three years or something. And I really loved her and, um, I screwed it up. I, uh, you know, I was going out with my friends and doing hard drugs and not coming home at night and stuff. And I'd be like, Oh, it's Friday night. I'm going out. What are you doing? She's going out with her friends. And just, you know, she got tired of that. And I came in one morning when the sun was coming up and she was like, uh, I'm done. You know, I was really upset about it. And, uh, it, it hit you, you hard. Know, I've only made a few mistakes in my life. I think, that was, you know, messing it up with her, not staying in the military and um, getting involved with the, uh, the other girl there. After yeah, yeah, that we'll briefly talk about. So yeah. <laughs> how long after you met your, your wife-to-be did you guys get married? Oh, my gosh. Way too fast. I uh, met her, like I said, I met her in uh, late January, early February, and we were married by that next July. And had a kid a year after that, basically. You know, and you daughter. had two after that? And then two more. Yeah. A total of three, a daughter and two sons. Wendy is a very caring and loving person. I believe she, you know, loved her kids more than anything and would do anything for them and uh, loved to help homeless people, disadvantaged people. But for some reason, I don't think she could love me as much as, you know, stranger or her kids or, or the way you, you know, needed it or to, you know, and that was like a big, huge thing for me is that it was rejection. But the final straw was when she hurt herself and then she got addicted to painkillers. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I would, she couldn't, and this is the thing, Andrea, it was another straw is that when I was a younger man and our kids were young, it was difficult for me to find my place in the workforce. Okay. I bounced around a little bit. I couldn't work for my dad. I finally went back to a school and got a little computer repair training, which led me into the copiers. And I was able to figure out how to stay in that employment. Yay, for a while. Yes. Yay, you, found it. you found a niche. Yeah. I found a home. Right. And she had found a home. Working as the school bus driver was a great job, great benefits and all that. And we were finally able to go on vacations. We were finally not behind on Niagara Mall. We were finally buying a house, you know. And then all of a sudden, gone. She was a school bus driver in, in Niskayuna School District's parking lot 
was rough, you know, potholes and stuff. And in the wintertime, she stepped off the bus, slipped, and it pulled her arm out of socket or something and twisted her knee, you know. And the next thing you know, she's going to this doctor down in Albany who, you know, started out with like codeine. And then the next week, it's fentanyl. You know, it wasn't that fast, but this isn't working. Give me something else. Give me something else. And, you know, and we all know somebody who wasn't like, doesn't have predisposition for drug use at all. And that how addicting it is. And things fell apart. But you went after your divorce, you went from or the frying pan into the fire. Yes. And let's, you know, let's let's kind of quickly go over that because I really want to talk about Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I leave, and I'm staying with my stepmom. And I get a friend request on Facebook from a girl that we grew up with and who I thought had liked me and that I had liked in the past. I had heard things over the years that she had been not the best citizen, I guess, and and had some issues. But I didn't let it bother me because... You know, um, she could give me what I needed after being lonely for so long. And you that know? happens a lot. People get involved with people they shouldn't because of chemistry and hormones and stuff like that. And Yeah, yeah. And I got along good with her. I mean, I thought, you know, we had a dysfunctional somewhat relationship. But, I mean, we didn't fight or anything or argue until yeah. my son came to live with us. And then things got tough, you know, because well, that's yeah, when I what happened working. then? Well, He came to live with us, and she had gotten her disability, but she didn't work long, so she didn't get very much in her check, and she wasn't getting food stamps or anything. But I had applied for food stamps, and and they're giving me food stamps for one person, and I'm feeding me, her, and my son on the one-person food stamps. So I'm eating one meal a day. And she she used pills for a while, but she started shooting heroin again? Yeah, yeah, like... um, she would take a handful of pills and it would knock her out on the couch, but I could still get her to be aware enough to like, go put your clothes on or whatever, but she's still not out. I have to go get her again and stuff. It was like, God, it was so crazy. And then she influenced your son. Right. But see, my son had stolen pills and stuff from my ex-wife before. So it wasn't like he didn't know. So he he already had an addiction. An issue, right. And he was working in, you know, restaurants are, there's that's where everybody's partying. Totally party party. You know, know, I'm in just isolating myself in my room, doing my video game and uh, playing with my gamer buddies and stuff and not really interacting with them a whole lot except for like, you know, if I needed something or whatever, you know, or cook meals. And, uh, so one night me and Shelly walked to the grocery store or the little corner store to get toilet paper. And she's a tiny little girl. And, um, I'm standing outside with our dog and she comes out and she's like, yeah, there's this guy in there and he won't get the toilet paper off the top shelf for me. He's telling me, go fuck myself. He doesn't work there. Hey, what's your problem? You can't get the lady who's disabled to freaking roll the toilet paper, you fucking asshole. Blah, blah, blah. And we're arguing back and forth. He goes, gets his, in his car. He's like, I got something for you. And he's chasing me around the parking lot with a knife, right? 
I run back in the store. She's in there with half a dozen other people. And I'm like, yeah, the dude's chasing me with a knife. Can you call the cops? And I go back out for some reason. I'm out of my mind, I guess. You know, I go back outside. I'm arguing with him again. He's chasing me again. And eventually his friends get him into their car and they leave. I go back home with Shelly and I'm angry at her because she didn't call the police when the guy's chasing me with a knife. So I get in my car and I drive away. But I've lost my license because I couldn't pay my child support while I was waiting for my disability. Ugh. That's when she decides to call the cops. Okay? I'm gone. So 10, that's, yeah, that's when things really started going. Right? I got an 890, drove across the bridge over to Scotia, turned around, came back to my house on Crane Street, and the cops are there. She had told them what had happened at the store and that um, the cops were like, well, we can give you tickets or we can bring you to Ellis and admit you into the mental health ward or whatever for a short stay. And I didn't want to go to jail. So I went to there and I stayed and I had been off my meds. They got me back on my meds and counseling and sitting in there. But the problem is, is that Shelly, the psycho, who's boning my son and putting needles in her. Yeah, you didn't know in. that. So she, they were doing drugs together. Well, you were playing video games and they were having a sexual relationship. After I would go to bed or while I was in the mental health unit, right? So they're coming in and telling the counselors and stuff. And oh, he's a psycho. Don't let him out. Blah, blah, blah. You know? And I just lost it because, you know, they didn't call me. So whatever. I get out a week later, and I go back home, and I'm there, and it's the same shit. And we have a big fight, and I go to leave. I'm a gamer. I have the Xbox. So now she's going to say that the Xbox is hers and that I can't leave with it because that's the one thing that I would need to be happy if I left, right? So I pack it up and I'm starting to leave and my son literally jumps on my back and starts punching me in the back of the head. I'm a much bigger guy. I just shook him off and grabbed him by the neck and slammed him down on the floor in between the table and the couch and the coffee spilled and it was pouring in his face. I'll never forget it. I got a pin on the floor, Dunkin' Donuts coffee pouring in his face and I'm screaming, what are you doing hitting me like that? I'm your dad. And then I just got up. And because she's on the phone. Yeah, he's fighting with his son now. Send the cops as soon as you can. He's going to kill him. Blah, blah, blah. Right? I get up, go outside and wait. Two cops show up, one inside, one out. Inside cop comes back out. Mark's got a scratch on his neck. You're going to jail. I go to jail. And um, I get released on my own recognizance the next day. But the worst part was appearing in court uh, after sleeping in the jail cell and being in cuffs and leg irons in front of my ex-wife and new boyfriend and my kids and Shelly. Right. So I go home and I call Shelly to please bring me when I smoke cigarettes, you know, some cigarettes and some weed. Cause you, you moved in with your, step, my aunt, your aunt, my father's sister. She never had kids. She lived in a big old house out on Route 5 and never had kids. But whenever there was problems with cousins or nephews and shit, they would go stay at Aunt Donna's our whole life. You know, if it wasn't our house, it was Aunt Donna's. So I'm staying there and I'm calling her to bring me some of these supplies that I need. And she's like, I'm on my way. A couple hours go by. I call back. I'm leaving right now. And then she calls the court. He's harassing us. 
I go back to court. Now I'm arrested and have to stay in jail even longer and get bailed out. And, you know, then I go back to my aunt's house. And um, you can, and then you separate from this, but then things get like in a short a very summary short of, of time, your aunt, things get worse. Right. I'm at my aunt's and she was, you know, in the drug business. And now she has a problem with me smoking weed when she used to have me pass the joint from her to my mom or uncle or whatever and partied in front of us for years and used drugs with me when I was underage. And then after I was of age and always had awesome New Year's Eve parties, everybody's partying and having a great time. So now I'm crazy. I can't smoke weed at her house. And I'm sitting there eating breakfast one morning and the troopers show up and they want to take me away and interview me because my daughter's telling them that, you know, I did awful things. Right. So now I got that. So everybody's kind of against you now. Right. And, and this is while I'm still going to court and everything for the thing with my son. So this is on top of that. And then my aunt starts treating me like the worst person that, that was ever on the planet. In my opinion, you know, she thought she was helping me, but it wasn't helping me. It was making me worse by not letting me smoke marijuana and by just making me feel uncomfortable at every possible turn. I mean, like you like, were doing everything wrong. Everything I did was wrong. Every time she called my name, it would make me shudder or spasm, you know, and it just, it went from this to a stutter and a shake. And I yeah, and then you got diagnosed with Parkinson's from all this mm-hmm. stress. Yeah, and I was stuttering. And um, I didn't think it was ever going to go away. They had me on like 13 or 14 different pills every day. So exactly. how, did, how did you escape all this when you felt oh this gosh. stuck? Andrea, remember I told you I had applied for disability when I was with Shelly? Yeah. Well, the lawyer that I got on the day that I was supposed to go in uh, in front of the judge and everything, she called me the day before and said, I don't think I have enough ammunition to win your case the day before. So I find another lawyer and have to wait another year at Andana's for my disability hearing. I and, at, and, then we're, and then your Parkinson's symptoms were getting worse. Well, Stress. actually, actually, they're at, a, at some point, I was like, I'm smoking weed. And I would have, they would go away every other month or so for the weekend. And I would have this friend bring me some weed. Well, yeah, we'll see. The other thing was while I was at that aunt's house, I gained 75 pounds and went from 275 to 350. And I was having back issues. And the back doctor was like, I can't help you unless you lose some weight. What do you ever think about a gastric bypass? So I got the gastric bypass. I lost 90 pounds while I was living at my aunt's being treated like crap and all that. I lost the weight, but then, you know, as it just, it got to be too much. So I started putting a little work on while I was still there. And around that time I got my disability and I got a car and, and I found an apartment. So you moved out, things started looking up, you started, and you started dating, you even, didn't you, did you move in with somebody for a little while too? Right, I got the apartment, I started trying to find somebody, and I I met a lady who lived in Glens Falls, who was my dog's owner, and she had Kira, 
and Jackson and the Chihuahua from upstairs and a roommate had a black lap. So all of my hair, all these dogs who love me now, right? <laughs> I was in heaven. I'd be sitting in my recliner with like five dogs. That's, there's me. your therapy right there. Right. It felt so good. But the girl didn't like something about me and it wasn't working out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, another rejection after all that stuff you know I but just you got but you got kira right she did do she was a saint when i left and gave me syrup kira and that was uh she was what helped me get through until i met jenny you know things were getting better and better and better and then you were you said okay i'm gonna go out there and try online dating again I had gone to the same site that I had met Kira's owner on and had some bad experiences. So I was pretty much done with that. I had deleted it off my phone. And then one day I was sitting here and I found a Facebook singles after dark page or whatever. And I checked it out a couple of times and I was like, oh, there's nobody local. I want to meet some girl in Kansas, you know? And, um, I don't know. I just was really bored one night or something that went on there and there's Jenny. So I write to her, she writes back and we start chatting for a few nights, just um, typing or whatever. And then I asked her if we could do a video chat and I did a video chat with her just for maybe a minute or two. She was embarrassed of her English. And um, eventually, you know, after that, it was a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And then, Oh, do you want to call me at lunch? Oh, all right. Well, I'll be here at dinner if you want to talk to me then, too. And you you didn't have any intentions of like, oh, she's, you know, she's going to be my girlfriend or she's the one. No, I didn't. I mean, we're friends. I Yeah. And I had never really talked to many foreign people. And I'm always been intrigued by different languages. And when I hear them, I, I like to listen. And, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think they're talking bad about me. I just was like, oh, I wish I knew another language. You know, so I don't know. It was interesting to find out a different culture and the Philippines and how they live, yeah. what it's like. And there. it kind of took you out of your reality a little bit and into somebody else's. For sure. It wasn't threatening. Ah. You know, I mean, she couldn't really get with my son. She couldn't take advantage of my savings or. You know, crash my car or something crazy. Or you know, your dog. Steal you know? my TV like the one lady <laughs> tried to do it, you know. Right. So Hawk your like, guitars. Exactly. It's like have, it was like having a girlfriend a few times a day, but then I was free. You said that this is the first time that you really felt somebody accepted you for all that you were. Correct. And that's a big thing. You know, he's getting he's getting tears in the corner of his eyes. Ah, big no heart idea. is getting choked up, and it meant a lot. It is hard because think about it: a guy in my position is not attractive to most women in America. I would think, and they you know, unless well, they're how, well. That was your experience. That was my experience. Anybody that you know, I found really attractive or looked like they had their stuff together would be like you're on disability and you're driving this car and you play video games and you smoke weed. No, I'm going to pass, you know? So it makes you feel bad. And I know I'm a good person. Right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So that's, 
the her accepting who I am for who I am is why I am so loyal to her. I cannot take a chance of losing somebody who accepts me for who I am. I don't think, I, like I said, I don't think I ever had it like this before. You know, not Nothing. growing up, not ever. No, no, it's just you know, even with my family, you know what I mean. I've never talked to a family member the way I've talked to Jenny. You know, it just it blows my mind that I'm able to do it, and and um, and it bums me out that I never had that kind of relationship in the past with somebody. You know. And so did this surprise you? Yeah. Oh, you know, I used to get so upset because I was on disability. I was like, I'm never going to be able to afford to go over there or get you here. And then I did research and it really wasn't that bad to get over there for me. You know, I mean, it, I had to save for a little bit, you know, but it wasn't that painful and it was so well worth it. I had such an awesome time going there both times. So when's, the last, so when's the last time you saw her? my birthday in 2019 Hmm. i'm trying to go in may good the philippines recently opened for vaccinated travelers prior to this they were only allowing filipinos or people who were married or spouses to come back so the the tickets are a lot more expensive than they are than when i went and i was going to try and wait it out to see if they come down some and they've already come down a lot but i can't wait it's been too long i want to go there and we're going to get married oh you are uh, well yeah did you already propose yes i we when oh the last time i was there you know we you know two 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 three years ago almost three years yeah i wanted to and during covid we were thinking if there was a way for us to get married over a video chat or something, so I could go back there sooner. And there was a way, but it was really expensive. And I'm just like, no, I ain't doing that, you know? Oh, so I miss them so much. Their house was damaged and I was able to, you know, help them uh, rebuild it back better. Yeah. There was a big typhoon a month or two ago. And uh, I'm excited to go back and see, you know, the improvements and, my Jenny's going to leave her employment and go back and stay in the province. She's been away from her kids for a long time, like 14 years or more. And it's in order to earn money and send it back to them. Right. Right. So they're adult children now and her daughter has been to school and um, works in a similar type situation as her away from home. And they're both going to go back home and we made um, an addition onto their home so they can have a sorry, sorry store which is a convenience store in the Philippines. There's one every 50 feet or so. And um, they raise a couple pigs in their little side shed. So, you know, prior to this, mom is an elderly lady working in the fields still to make some money. So now, you know, we've between me and Jenny and her daughter and stuff, we've made it, you know, much better than it was and given them, a way to earn an income so that they don't have to go in the fields, you know, so that right there, I can die a happy man. Oh my God. Sound. And it sounds amazing. And again, not being able to go out there, is going to make you appreciate it. even more. When I went to the Philippines, um, I would meet other guys traveling there 
and they would ask me about my girlfriend and stuff. And they're all like, this is the only one you've met. You've been with other Filipinos. You have to, you know, um, try out a few or something. He's telling yeah, they're not commodity. Like, <laughs> right. And I'm like, well, the one that I met wouldn't even take my Netflix password or money ever since I've known her. And the guy did a double take like he couldn't believe it. He's like, you got a good one. Over five years finding the one while not looking for it, just looking for connection. And it pops up through. And that's what I tell a lot of people when I'm coaching them about relationships. Think about the friendship first and just about connecting before you jump right in, like move right in and get married right away and have sex right away. And that like, look how different this was because there was that natural barrier of miles and that you were actually able to get to know her and you both able to develop trust. I've never had a relationship like that since like my first girlfriend, I guess, Right. you know, and, but we didn't even live together. I mean, we dated for a month and then, you know, we were intimate or whatever. And like, Ever since then, it was just like, you know. And that's why, like, in our culture, too, it's like all the movies are about wham, bam, get right in there. And everybody's, like, and sex clouds things. And then, you know, and then it's all about, like, the rush of hormones rather than the connection of heart. Exactly. So what would you, what would you tell your listeners about what you learned from all this? Wow. Don't be afraid of a long distance relationship. I mean, I I never thought about it the way that you just put it there, where you had the time and the distance to actually get to know somebody as opposed to going on a couple dates and then you're in bed one night and who knows what or moving in together. It's just, I cannot believe uh, how much happier it worked out for me doing it this way. And you, you, know you, I mean? you stumbled into it. It wasn't and like never you chose it. Right. I would never choose this type of thing. You know what I mean? Like I told you, I didn't want to meet a girl in Kansas or the Philippines. You know? It's, but, it's, uh, it's so heartwarming. And, and hearing a lot of these stories, it's like, don't give up. You know, love is always there. But if we put expectations or need it to be a certain way or look a certain way, we might cut ourselves off from experiences and connections in our life that are meant to be in our lives. Yeah, that I have this relationship with. I honestly never, ever thought it would be happen, you know. Well, Chris, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been a delight to connect with you again. Thank you very much for listening and uh, having me on. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening in with us on the Love Anarchy podcast, where we get deep about love, relationships, and dating. I'm signing off, Andrea Atherton, your host and love specialist. And I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening in with us, because I know you have a myriad of podcasts that you can choose from. Please subscribe, ring the bell, like on any of the platforms that you listen to Love Anarchy on, and don't forget to tell your friends so they can listen too. 
We also have a community website on Facebook, which is the Love Anarchy Podcast. Please feel free to go on, leave feedback, ask questions, and become a part of the Love Anarchy conversation. I'm going to leave you with my favorite short but sweet quote. Love is the only true power.